Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again. And yeah, thank you for coming to join us. And just my welcome to those of you who may be coming for the first time, or we haven't even yet met in person, but you've uh, started connecting uh, with us as a congregation. Now, today we continue in our series on foundations. Um, but before we do that, I want to briefly just comment on the implications of lockdown level two as we constantly are adjusting to some of the changes as we respond to coronavirus. Um, level two doesn't change a lot of the onerous restrictions around social gathering and on worshiping us, worshiping together as a congregation in person. There's still the same number of limited uh, numbers, face masks, no singing, uh, no socializing, certainly got to keep the social distance and all that kind of stuff. So at the moment, online remains our primary platform. Uh, also with those numbers, we just find that we would be excluding uh, so many people. However, one of the things that has opened up in level two is that we can begin to talk about our life groups and open up some of those op options. Why? Because we may now invite up to 10 visitors to our home. So if your home's got four people, you can have an additional 10 visitors to your home. Now, when we thought about that as elders and as leaders, we're aware that our well-being is not just physical, but it's emotional, it's relational, it's spiritual, which means we want to encourage you to just think holistically about what you want to do. And we know that our responses are going to differ from group to group, household to household, person to person, and we completely respect that. And some people will need to limit social contact, and they need to continue to do that for good reasons, uh, sometimes related to their profession and work, sometimes related to their own health. And so they will continue to rely on online, and so our main service will remain for the foreseeable future, continue to be an online platform. But others of us can begin to form a social bubble. That might be that you're going to um, enlarge your household slightly, and include others and, and live as normally as you can, but with a closed circle. And again, we respect that. And just think of ways in which our discipleship journey, our mission journey, and our community as a collective can be included inside that. Um, and so, you know, whether you get together on a Sunday and do church as a couple of families or things like that, or life groups, etc. And then others may want to have a range of friends. In other words, not the same circle of people, but still honoring the small groups, but a couple of times a week, having different people in their homes and, and, and doing that with uh, a fellowship intent, a ministry intent, a missional intent, whatever it is. And, and basically what we've got to say is, guys, it's over to you. Um, you, you really do need to take the initiative. Um, one of the things that, you know, we've got to kind of work on is um, our larger groups then. What is the impact on some of the well-established life groups? And those are conversations that you and your leaders will need to have and possibly forming micro groups or something like that, depending on what the need profile of your particular group is. And so pretty much you have our blessing to explore whatever options there are. Um, it's simply too diverse a uh, range of issues for us to try and organize and manage all that. So it's in your hands. But what I'm asking and what the, your congregational pastors are all asking is, 
Please keep us in the loop. If you're going to form a little bubble, if you need us to continue online, won't you communicate? Connect with me. Uh, let me know what's happening. Um, and we, the reason for that is we really want to try and make sure that no one is falling between the gaps. And then a quick word on the corona uh, care for COVID um, response from the church. Uh, we will be meeting in this coming week. So if you haven't filled in a form, please check with me. I'll give you the form and you can complete that. It's all done online and, um, and you can then let us know that, uh, that you're in need of our support. So today, I want to take a moment and look at readiness, at living ready, at being prepared. And, and, and you might think in these times of uncertainty, this is a really crazy topic. I mean, ready for what? How can we prepare for something we don't know? Well, actually, that's what readiness is. It's not necessarily organized. Organized is when you actually know the detail of what is coming uh, at you. Readiness is, is living with a sense of preparedness even in the midst of uncertainty. I mean, one of the things that's going to happen this coming week is our church council is going to meet, and we've got to ask them to start preparing plans for 2021. And how do you, how do, you do that with so much uncertainty? And honestly, for me, it starts by just being honest about the stuff we don't know. Let's be clear that we're not clear. Let's be honest that we just don't know. But once you're very clear about the stuff you don't know, then, then make the internal shift and say, but what is it that I really do know? What is it that I'm clear on? And invest energy and creativity and intention into the stuff you do know, and you'll be really surprised and amazed that when you focus on your certainties, you've still got a pretty full life ahead of you. And besides, someone told me this week, not to let 2020 get on top of you. Don't let this tough year win. If we let that happen, then 2021. Okay, I'll, I'll let you work it out. You know, some of you, 2021. Okay, now turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and uh, we'll start with a. Um, we, we're going to just pick up. On, on the story of John the Baptist. Now, about four or five years ago, we looked at this, and I'm not going to go back to the whole series, but something about John the Baptist, whose message was, prepare the way for the Lord. And, and we'll see in, in the description of the message from Angel Gabriel over his life that he would prepare a people for God. And so Luke chapter 1, and Luke introduces that he's done all these interviews and um, he's met with as many eyewitnesses as he possibly could to give Theophilus a careful account of what actually took place uh, in the life of Jesus. I'm going to pick up at verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord and observing all the Lord's commands and, um, and, and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as priest before God. This was a unique privilege. They would draw lots for it. 
He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And so when the time came for the burning of the incense, all assembled worshippers were praying outside. So it's quite an in focused, um, incredible opportunity. And as he goes in, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Isaiah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. What a great promise. And, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord, or for he will be great. And he is never uh, to take wine. He's got to live in level four of lockdown or other fermented drink. And he will be filled. It's a contrast of the spirit there. Never take wine. But he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and of the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. And then a key sentence, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? <laughs> I am an old man, and my wife, and I love his discretion, yeah. I'm old, but my wife is well on in years. Very wise description, even to an angel. And the angel said to him, like you can almost hear the disbelief, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And, and then he kind of wraps him over the knuckles um, and, uh, and, he, and he loses his ability to speak until all these promises come true and God shows his favor to this amazing couple. So, so here's the key thing that, that Gabriel says. This, this child will be an amazing joy. There will be an incredible thing that happens in this space. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. And one of the things that happens is, is, is to him is that he is filled with the Spirit of God and out of the Spirit and the power of the Lord, which was also on Elijah and is a kind of descriptor of his ministry, one of the things he will do is make ready a people prepared for God. There will be a people prepared, a people ready. And at the heart of my message today is, guys, I just sense God's communication to us right now especially at this time, is get yourselves ready. It's time to prepare. And I don't say this lightly, and I really want you to test this in your own hearts. But I want to show us from, from, from John a little bit of what living uh, ready then looks like and why I believe that right now as a society, as a community, and as a church, as we begin, life begins to take shape after coronavirus, that this is a very significant thing for us to be living ready, living prepared. We, we may not know yet how to organize ourselves, but man, we certainly can live with readiness. God wants a people prepared. 
God is working with those who intentionally prepare themselves. Um, and that's going to be part of John's message, prepare the way. And one of the things is that we get to do this together. Uh, you know, I'm a cyclist, and one of the best ways to ride is to ride in a group. To go by yourself, especially in road cycling, is just dumb. Why? Because you've got to do all the work. You've got to um, you know, break the head, uh, wind, and, and, and you're kind of doing all the work. And so, yeah, my cycling group, I'm rather famous for letting others take the lead, let's say that. Um, but, but one of the things that happens, if, you, if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, is that you can drop out of your group, you can drop out of the slipstream, and then you've got to work just as hard as the guy at the front. And, and so when we're doing this and when we're living ready, one of the things we want to do is to do this together so that, that we're not needlessly all trying to do this. We can take turns, we can press in, we can learn from one another, and we can discover what living ready together looks like. So briefly to the story, just set some background. Number one is things were not great, okay? For Zach and Elizabeth, their lives were faithful but barren. I want to pause on that sometimes. We often think that faithfulness equals fruitfulness, but, but they were faithful, but they were still barren. And, and we'll see that they weren't entirely innocent because when God shows up to work, they don't know what to do with it in any case. But their context was it was tough personally, but also nationally as a nation. They were cruelly conquered and they were oppressed by a foreign power. And then inside the nation, their own rulers were vicious despots. And, and so the people's lives had become filled with anger and rebellion and hatred and nationalism and oppression and legalism and injustice and blame. And in one toxic word, bitterness. And to make it worse, God had apparently been silent for like 400 years. But scripture is very clear. Just because things are tough doesn't mean that God isn't at work. And God is definitely at work and even out of this silence, God is not walking away. He's moving towards his people and he's raising up someone who in faith will walk with him. And so faith does not wait until things are good, until it gets stuck in. Faith comes to us in the midst often of really tough and demanding times. The other thing we've got to notice here in the backstory is that in spite of a lifetime of prayer, of devotion, of obedience to God, Zechariah can't bring himself to believe the promise when it actually comes. And I, I love the honesty of the Bible in the describing of the characters. It gives me hope. So here is a godly man who's prayed long and hard and then still doubts the answer when it comes. Like, I mean... How many revival prayer meetings have we been to? How many times have we asked God to work? And yet when the revival is coming, oh, can that be God? Mm, can that be God? And, and, and it's just such a human thing because God shows up in really unusual ways. So Zechariah has prayed and he, and he steps into this holy place. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime privilege. Some priests we know never got drawn because um, there was whole groups and clusters of priests, and then they were organized into, uh, into the different, as it were, divisions and tribes, and uh, well, not tribes, but divisions and so on. And, um, 
And here he comes and he steps into this space to offer the daily incense. And he enters alone because no one else would dare go with him. And, and there he finds a live glow-in-the-dark, startling, terrifying angel. I mean, you wouldn't be scared if it was just an angel appearing in disguise. Gabriel was not in disguise. He scared Zechariah spitless. And still, Zechariah doubts. And, and, and so Zachar, I mean, Gabriel gives him this amazing message, and his response is, so how can I be sure of this? And as I pointed out in the reading, you just got to love what comes, you know, glow-in-the-dark angel, you know, appears next to and standing next to the altar of incense, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to stand in the presence of God. And Gabriel goes like, I'm Gabriel, you know, you clown. What more must God do to get your attention? Like a live glow-in-the-dark angel who stands in the presence of God, who's been sent to speak to you and tell you this amazing good news. And, I mean, you just, yeah, you just got to love it. This does get a little heavy, though. Because sometimes when God has answered my prayer, answered your prayer, when God has given you a sign, a breakthrough or something, you know, we, we lose the right to keep doubting. We lose the right to ask everyday questions. We, we have to then take that, that encounter, that sign, that answer as something significant. God really expects you to build on it. And of course, so, so God wants John to know, listen, hey. And so instead of letting him speak, he makes him mute because he wants, he wants Zechariah, sorry, to be so aware of what uh, God is saying. God is declaring. And so it's only when the fulfillment has come and Zechariah's words now align with the promises of God that he's given his speech back. Um, and what a speech. When he has the chance to speak, as you read on, you see he just bursts into this amazing song of worship and praise. But that's not for today. So we see in John's life, out of this people prepared for God, prepare the way for the Lord, that, that John's ministry had three broad areas. The first was it's time to get right with God. If you're going to prepare for God, you've got to get right with God. John's ministry was um, defined, characterized by this act of obedient faith, which was the baptism of repentance. Baptism was stepping into something new. It was an initiation, but it was an initiation into a lifestyle of dealing with the stuff that separated you from God. In other words, there's a responsibility we have. We know God has dealt with this stuff from him, his side in Jesus Christ. John was predicting that God would deal with the sin stuff from his side. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we've got a response, and we've got a responsibility. And so we call to this deep personal commitment of, of change. And so he says, prepare the way. Get the rubbish out the way. Fill up the gaps. Fix the roads. Make sure that you're expecting God. And so we read in Mark chapter 1, um, 
the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, same again, the word of good news or euangelion, the gospel, about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, wow, just lay all that on. As is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling or crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's what repentance does. It opens up the way for God to come and work in us and through us. It straightens things. And so John appeared in the wilderness preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Don't ask people to repent if you don't plan to be part of their forgiveness. Don't call for change if you're not going to bring grace as part of that change. And so people were going to be able to do this because God was going to save them through Jesus. So it's time to get right with God. Press pause for a moment. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about what God has done during lockdown in which people have realized that their life needed significant change during lockdown. As we start to exit this time, as we start to reposition, it's not time to forget the lessons that God taught you about himself, about yourself, and about the things that really matter. You see, God has been preparing you, not for lockdown, but through lockdown, to reposition your life. And so the things that I have learned about walking with God, it's time to get right with God. It's time to stay right with God. And then John's message is that we're going to get right with one another. He says, and he starts with very intimate relationships. John will go on before the Lord. This is the prophecy from Gabriel. And in the spirit and power of Elijah... And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And, and, and just as in our day, families and intimate relationships and households were in trouble. And John's ministry of preparation, of readiness, would turn the hearts of parents towards their children. A child is born with a heart turned towards its parents. But will the parent's heart turn towards the child? And so part of what John is going to do is create a cascade of ministry and grace that flows from one generation to another. Now, stay with me here. The original is actually gender-specific, and I think it's important. In fact, I know it's important. It says he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now, I know it's Women's Month, and I'm not pulling on some archaic patriarchy here. But Isaiah 49 verse 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast, have no compassion on the child she has born? Even if she could, I, even if she could forget, I will never forget you, is a, is a, is a, is a communication from God. But, but the Lord himself recognizes this profound bond between a mom and her child. And culturally, socially, and even physically and legally in our day, it is much harder for a woman to live as though she has no child. A man can walk away from a baby and not be prosecuted. A woman will, will be prosecuted and face severe things if she leaves, if she just walks away and lives as though she has no child. And let's be honest, most harm's hearts are already so deeply turned towards their children. And, and, and it's... 
And it's that determination in, in the many, 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 many moms' hearts that keeps our societies from being harmed even more. And it's them that, that holds together even damaged and sick societies. The challenge we face today, though, is how many men are living, functionally living, or actually living as though they have no children? Their hearts are not turned to their own kids. And our nation and our world, our city and our families suffer. And let's be honest in this woman's mouth. When men's hearts turn away like that, our women and our mothers suffer. They suffer financially and they become the most vulnerable in the economy because they're expected to take the meager resources that they do have and use them for their children. And not only so, we've seen this again tragically during lockdown. What has lockdown shown us? Some of the most appalling abuse and violence in our city because of gender. I suspect that when a father takes no interest in his child, it's because he already doesn't care for that child's mother. And so God comes to a man who never thought he would be a dad. given up on the hope of being a father to a son. And he sends Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, to tell him that his son will be born to change a nation and to turn hearts, not just towards God, but into those intimate family relationships that are in distress. And when God is at work, and when God is on his way, and we're getting ready, you can know fathers will become passionate about reaching and raising their own, about the coming generation. So, gents, let me ask you this. What has lockdown done for you as a dad? I know for me, I know for many of you, it's been a precious time. It's been a powerful time. It's been a time, sobering reminder of the ones we value most. Our hearts have been turned. And so readiness means making right with God. And turning your heart towards those that God has entrusted to you in the closest space. But of course, it means making right with your neighbor and with society. John's ministry will call for direct social, economic, and even political challenges. And he'll, he'll take on the powers 
And so we need to recognize that when God is going to come, we're going to be making right with our neighbor and our neighbor in the Good Samaritan sense, not just our neighbor in terms of the guy who is rich enough to live next door to me. And so we are open to becoming considerate and charitable and sacrificial and just and ethical and moral and willing to really change in the language that John would preach in Luke 3 verse 8 to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Guys, let's be honest. Lockdown, corona has exposed and laid bare a multitude of social wrongs and injustices, the devastating inequality and poverty of our world, our country, our city, the systemic social and personal experiences that people have and of prejudice, and especially because of race. And I've already mentioned it, the horrors of gender-based violence and so on. And if, if we want to get ready for God, then we're going to get ready to actually engage some of these things with a repentant heart. You see, God has, during lockdown, brought these things into the light, put them on the agenda precisely because he is getting a people who are ready for him, a people whose hearts are turned to him, a people whose hearts are valuing the, the intimate relationships they have, and a people who's, who are longing to see a just and moral and ethical society. We need to get ready for God. How will John do this? He will preach repentance, but most fundamentally... He will point to one about whom he will say, he must become greater and I must become less. John will point to Jesus. You see, this is not just about rules or demand for change. It's about the power of grace to bring change. Because as the text says, as you read further, He will point Jesus, point people to Jesus in whom they will find the tender mercies of our God. So we live really by surrendering ourselves to the tender mercy of God. We live really, not, not necessarily organized, not knowing everything that would come. But we live ready. We live prepared by turning our hearts to God. Turning our hearts to, to the next generation, in particular in our own lives and homes. And we turn our hearts to a nation in need of healing. And as we do so, we find the tender mercies of our God. The tender mercies mercies of our God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the promises. We want to thank you for the prophecies. We want to thank you that you do not just leave us. Thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. Thank you that we're not meant to do this on our own. And Lord, I don't believe for a moment we meant to thank you for the virus itself. 
But I do thank you for what you've done in the midst of this. Today we bring ourselves to you. We bring ourselves to you. Turn our hearts to you, we pray. Help us prepare the way. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Help us live ready for whatever lies before us. And Lord, whatever you've spoken to us today, we want to say more, Lord. We want to say more, not just of your words, but of the grace, of the tender mercy, and of the spirit and power of Elijah that would see us tear down the old idols and serve you only. For if the Lord is God, serve him only. Amen. Blessings, guys. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you around. And it's been good to be with you again this morning. Please feel free to make contact uh, for any reason you'd like to do so. Blessings. Thank you.